Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. I am your host, Teresa Marks, a senior wealth strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Caroline Mackay, also a senior wealth strategist at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Caroline and I will discuss the steps for creating an effective and practical estate plan, especially as we age. This is part one in our three-part series focusing on aging wisely. Okay, let's get started. We're often talking to our clients about estate plans. Really, no matter where they fall on the wealth spectrum, it's really important to have an estate plan in place and think about how you want to pass your assets on to your family and also manage your own assets during your life. How can we, especially as people age, think about you know, how to make those estate plans practical and effective at the same time? Right. I, I, that's such a good question. And I think where we start off is really thinking about uh, what the goal and purpose is of the estate plan, right? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Who are we trying to benefit? And really dig in on that aspect, because that's going to be the core of any estate planning decisions mm-hmm. that you're going to make. Next, we're going to look to, okay, do you have documents or an estate plan currently in place? Mm-hmm. And does that estate plan meet your these current objectives and goals that we've discussed and laid out? In some cases, documents drafted years ago might still work. And in some cases, because of legal changes, because of family changes, births, deaths, things like that, uh, we may need to update the documents. So we want to make sure that we're reviewing any documents previously executed. Mm -hmm. And then there are some clients who don't have documents executed, or they might have sort of a mismatch. They Mm -hmm. might have one document, but not other documents. So we want to make sure that we are getting all the documents in place that we think kind of make up a core estate plan and help protect families and, you know, the the intentions mm-hmm. of the people trying to execute those documents. So what are those documents? You know, so yeah. you know, a lot of times I get the question, so what am I going to get from my attorney, right? Sure. So I go through this estate planning process. What should clients be looking for their attorneys to put together for them? Right. Well, if you haven't done a plan in a long time, you know, you might be surprised by the number of documents mm-hmm. in there. What we typically think of as a core estate plan these days is going to include a will, a revocable trust, a durable power of attorney, a healthcare proxy, a potentially a living will, and then also a HIPAA authorization. So just quickly, a will is going to be the document that helps pass on those assets that you own individually at death through a formal probate process. A revocable trust is a document that you can actually retitle assets to while you're still alive, Mm -hmm. um, and that will help govern and administer those assets while you're alive, but then can also uh, designate how those assets pass on at death. So typically today, oftentimes, uh, anything you die with that passes through your will will then pour into your revocable trust. So you have one primary document that is governing it, um, and you can amend and change that document as often as you want. The healthcare proxy is going to have you appoint an agent and probably a successor agent As somebody who, if you are unable to make medical decisions for yourself, uh, either incapacitated or maybe you were in surgery and a decision had Mm -hmm. to be made, uh, that person could be your trusted person to work with your doctors and make that decision. Uh, For the durable power of attorney, similar to a healthcare decision maker agent, uh, this is somebody who's going to help make decisions uh, about your financial assets um, and have access to those assets for your care and your behalf and your family's behalf. Then there's the living will, and oftentimes the living will might also be part of a healthcare proxy. Mm-hmm. 
but that's going to state your sort of advanced directives about what you want for the end of life care. Maybe you don't want to be resuscitated. Maybe you never want a feeding tube. Maybe you do. You, this is where you tell your agents what exactly the type of care or treatment you would want to sustain your life or not as long as possible. And then finally, the HIPAA authorization. Many people will remember signing those documents at doctor's offices. And really, doctors are not allowed to share medical information about you because of these privacy protection acts. So we want to give all these agents that you have appointed and said you trust to help make decisions for you if you are unable to do so the ability to access your medical records, to talk to your doctors, to make the best decisions possible for you. So with these documents, you've mentioned a couple of things like the agents, the the trusted person, you know, how assets are going to pass at your death. So who's carrying out those those roles um, for the client? Right. Depending on the document we're talking about, we might call them a different thing, but they're all fiduciaries. They're all people who are meant to act in the best interests of the beneficiaries or the person who has appointed them as the agent. So in the case of your healthcare agent, that person is supposed to be making decisions on your behalf, not other people's behalf, mm-hmm. right? So with a will, that might be a personal representative or an executor. We call your healthcare, your durable power, your, your agent. With trust, which typically tend to be the longer fiduciary mm-hmm. relationships, because trust that you create you know, during your life Uh, may end up lasting for a generation or more. Uh, And so we want to be thinking very carefully about uh, those individuals who are serving as trustees. So those trustees are individuals who have to administer the trust, the Mm -hmm. assets held in the trust, and do so in the best interest of the beneficiaries for whom those assets are being Mm -hmm. held. And they have an obligation to make decisions in the best interest Mm -hmm. of those individuals. Um, Along with uh, a trustee, which is one of the sort of like I said, longer lasting relationships. Uh, Oftentimes these days, we also uh, include a trust protector. And that's another type of fiduciary who kind of oversees the the trustee who's administering the trust and making distributions day to day. This trust protector has sort of different powers that can come in and add a lot of flexibility um, in the case that the trust protector could be able to remove and replace a trustee. Because again, if these are long-term relationships, things change. Um, who can potentially add beneficiaries, remove beneficiaries, even terminate a trust if the purpose of why we created the trust in the first place is no longer there in the future. Mm -hmm. So those are two really important fiduciaries that I think um, all the fiduciaries are important, but we want to think strongly about the succession and and the people working. Because of that long-term nature and the the need for flexibility as we think about, as you said, long-term trusts. Exactly. So once these documents are in place, you've picked the fiduciaries, you've decided how things are going to pass. What else do you, I mean, are we done? Do we need to think, what else do we need to think about? Yeah, we, we want to make sure that if we're spending all this time pointing our agents, coordinating these documents and getting a, a really solid foundation that we're capturing everything, right. right? So I talked about those assets that you held at life or that you retitled to this revocable trust as being part of the core estate plan, Right. But there are other assets that you may own that don't actually pass through your will or your revocable trust. For example, uh, joint tenancy relationships. Uh, that is a type of relationship, you know, people might be familiar if they own a joint account with their spouse mm-hmm. or a child, real estate with somebody else. That Those assets pass by something called operational law, mm-hmm. which basically says the survivor of the joint tenants it automatically inherits the property. It doesn't, so no matter what my will says, doesn't that matter happens. exactly. Yeah. Doesn't matter what your will or rev trust says. 
it's just going to pass to the person who survives between you and, you know, the other person in example of a joint tenancy. Then we also have your retirement accounts with most people remember that they fill out a beneficiary designation. So those accounts pass to whoever you've identified as your beneficiary. That could be, again, your spouse, your children, somebody else. Your life insurance is another example, an annuity. So there's a number of assets that you can appoint or are required to appoint a beneficiary. And if you don't, it maybe passes through your estate, but generally speaking, it's always going to go to the named individuals or individuals on the account. So as you said, if my will and my trust don't authorize those or don't control those, I want to make sure that the right people are adhering those assets. And I'm considering both sides of the type of assets I have so that everybody I want to benefit is being benefited in the right amount, in the right way, equally, not equally, however it is, that my intentions. So really coordinating all of those pieces of the puzzle to make sure that the end result is exactly what you want. Yeah, we don't want to leave anything out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think something, you know, that's interesting and new in the estate planning world, which a lot of times we don't get new and exciting things, no, <laughs> um, are digital assets. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we weren't planning for them as much because they weren't really a, a big thing. Right. Right. Um, but as time has gone on, it's been something that's become something that's much more prevalent and things, something that people need to plan for. So maybe talk a little bit about you know, what is a digital asset when we, when we talk about that. And how clients should be planning for that, whether they are creating a new document or really, especially for people that wouldn't have any sort of provisions for digital assets, what should we be thinking about? Yeah, I feel like we could talk about this all day because really what is not a digital asset these Mm -hmm. days? It's like you have your phone, you have your laptop, all of those files on those, those, just your phone and your laptop are digital assets, right? You typically need a password to access them. You might have all of your photos, Mm -hmm. your music. You may have all of your financial accounts, your Quicken, everything that you're using to now run an everyday life mm-hmm. kind of makes up that digital asset. And as you said, you know, 20 years ago, you know, there was the Internet, right? But <laughs> there wasn't so extensively all of these digital, digital things that we've had to address. So if we have clients with older documents, we want to go and update documents to include new language that is specifically meant to give your trusted, uh, you know, agents and your trustees and your personal executors, all the powers that they possibly can have to access those records and save those records, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, sometimes it's a matter of necessity. Like, we don't know what the account numbers are unless we get onto that person's computer. We might not have a formal list given by the client, you know, stored in a safe anymore that tells us where everything is. That might be all on a computer. And if you don't have the password or if you don't have the right to access those passwords, you know, that creates a lot of challenges for the people who are tasked with administering Mm -hmm. your state. And then also it's about preserving, right? Like your photos, your memories. You know, I I think I have a shoebox of kids' (laughs) pictures, but now all of my family pictures are on a laptop or in Google Cloud. And and I think, you know, we want to make sure that people are thinking about this new type of asset, which is right. not so new anymore, yeah. but the law quite hasn't caught up and a lot of people's documents haven't caught up yeah. with that. So really this idea of having an effective and practical plan is really about thinking about what you want to do, mm-hmm. creating those documents to do it and coordinating with those outside assets and then really thinking about new and, you know, kind of new types of law and how to incorporate those into your current estate plan. Got it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting. 
and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the private banking division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.